0: Hey, good morning, church family. We're so excited that you have connected with us online. And I am pumped about our Love Your Neighbor initiative that's kicking off this week. And yes, we're moving our Love Your Neighbor launch party on campus until next week, but that doesn't mean this week we can't to be we can't begin to go ahead and live out some of the principles that we're going to be giving you, and we can't begin to just put our faith in action. And so today we are continuing in our series on the parables. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, and I hope that you do, go ahead and find the book of Luke. We're going to be back in there looking at another one of Jesus's parables. And if you remember, a parable is a story that Jesus told to illustrate a point. Sometimes people say, well, these are very simple stories, which it's, it's true that they're not overly complex. However, Jesus' parables were incredibly significant because parables had a purpose. They were to provoke the hearer into a response. They really were kind of to tease the mind into active thought. And they were prophetic, meant Jesus was going to warn the hearer about something and what we're seeing in the parables is Jesus wants us to really know how to think. And what you see in parables is Jesus going, hey, listen up. He wants you to recognize where life is found. And today's parable, man, it is incredibly profound. Actually, I don't, I don't know how to put into words how weighty this parable really is. It's so weighty that the early Christians grabbed onto this principle and it just propelled the early church. It made them unstoppable. It made the impossible possible. It made the tomorrow a tomorrow that we actually experience. You see, what Jesus describes in this parable is how we're supposed to love. And what's incredible is that Jesus made love a verb. Because he's not asking us to feel a certain way in this parable. He's telling us we need to act a certain way. And there's 18 verses in this parable that we're going to read. And I think this, this parable, these verses, they really do hold some of the biggest boldest prayers that I have for us as a church and for our town and for the nations. And I'm, I'm so hopeful that as we spend our lives together, kind of wrestling for this, that this would come alive in our lives. There's so much here. And there's a couple of things that we will talk about today as we see this. We're going to understand who I am. We're going to understand who my neighbor is, and we're going to understand what love actually looks like. It's it's rich, it's full, it's incredible. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into Luke chapter 10. So Jesus, I pray that just as you spoke to your disciples and just as you spoke to those who heard this for the first time, you're alive and you're going to speak today through your word. So would you give us a fresh hearing and would you give us an understanding of your word and Would love come alive in our lives? Would we understand that the ethic of the Christian life is marked by love? And love is the marker, the true identity of a Christian. And so, Jesus, would you help us? Would you inform our hearts and our minds through your word in Jesus' name? And everybody said, amen. Amen. We are so glad that you're here. So let's begin in verse 25 of chapter 10, and let's see how Jesus begins. It says, then an expert in the law stood up to test him. That's Jesus saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus is talking to this expert in the law, and the expert in the law stood up And standing up is a sign of honor and respect. He stood up to address Jesus, to honor Jesus, but he really, he honored Jesus only to put him to the test. And so what you see right off the bat is the guy that Jesus is talking to, his heart and his actions don't line up. And he asks the question, what must I do To inherit eternal life? That's actually a great question, one that you might write down. That's a really big question. And then look at what happens in the next couple of verses. Let's look at verse 26 and see what Jesus said. So Jesus answered, Well, what is written in the law? He asked him, And how do you read it? That's what Jesus asks the expert in the law. He asks him about something he really should be an expert in. Look at verse 27. Well, he, the expert in the law, said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's his answer. And then check out verse 28. Jesus says, Ha, you have answered correctly. He told him, Do this and you will, what's the word? Live. You will live. Jesus' answer is, hey, you will live if you do this. You will have life, eternal life in the future, but a full life here and now. Abundant life is available to those who first, this is what he said, love God with all of their heart with all of their soul, with all of their strength, and with all of their mind. Jesus says, I want you to have a robust, overflowing, flourishing love for God. Like last week when we talked about the good soil that grows and bears fruit, and listen, we want to be the kind of people that run hard and fast after God. Now, look, I know we're not all going to be theologians like John Gill and James Boyce, and you're going, I know, I won't be those guys. I don't even know who they are. Well, they're great Baptist theologians, and many of you didn't even know we're Baptists. Surprise, we're Baptists. But what we want is for you, man, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, to have this ever expanding love for God increasing in your life. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He actually says something else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, love my neighbor as who? Myself. Myself. Now, what's interesting at this point is many of you have figured out what parable we're teaching on. And you're going to begin to check out because you think you kind of understand and grapple with this. One of the most dangerous places we can be is to be so familiar with the scripture that we're not really familiar with it at all. And so Jesus tells this man, I want you to love God, and I want you to love your neighbor. And then look at verse 29, because this is where it begins to get a little bit interesting. Look at verse 29. But wanting to justify himself, he, that's the expert in the law, asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So look at the framing of the question. He wants to justify himself what he wants and what he thinks Jesus is going to say when he asks the question, who is my neighbor? He thinks Jesus is going to say, oh, well, your neighbor is your family or your friends or it's Israel. It's, you know, those who are in your inner circle, those that you really care about, you know, your boys, your crew, you know, love them. And so he wants Jesus to say that. So when he asks the question, who's my neighbor, Jesus responds, hey, those that you already love, he can go, man, I do that really well. And he can puff out his chest and he can show everyone, including Jesus, man, I'm absolutely killing it. I'm crushing it. Well, if you look at Jesus's answer, he's actually going to derail his train of thought. He's going to absolutely kind of flip the coin on him. And Jesus took up the question and said, a man who's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him and beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. The road that this man was going down is actually a literal road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a picture of it right here. It's actually 17 miles long, and it drops literally 3,000 foot along the 17 miles. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is, man, it's historically accurate. One of the things that just builds my faith is when Jesus says he was going down the road. You go find the road, and you go walk on it, and you literally go down the road. And this road really wasn't a good road at all it was a it was a shady road and a lot of difficult and kind of bad things happened on this road and if you look back you can see in verse 30 some of the shady things that happened on this road our boy got got stripped of his clothes he got beat up and he got left half dead he is not having a good day and now look at verse 31 So the first example that Jesus is going to give here is a priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, that was the guy who was stripped, beat up, and left for half dead, he passed by on the other side. Now, here's what I know for those of you that have been in church for a while. Our immediate response is to hate on the priest. And what's probably true is the priest probably isn't walking by because he's probably upper middle class, so he's probably not walking by. He's probably riding by on some sort of a horse, and the reality is he's just left Jerusalem. He's left the temple, and our priest, if he actually gets within six foot of this guy, according to his religion, he's ceremonially unclean. He's got to go back to Jerusalem. He's got to go back through all the rites of purification, which means he got to buy an animal. He's got to sacrifice it. He's got to burn it. Some of that takes up to seven days Then he's got to go confess it to another priest, and so our priest here is actually in a sticky predicament, because if the priest does this, listen, it's a really big sacrifice for him. It's costly for him, and ultimately, this is is the sad part. The priest's religion really keeps him from stepping in and giving compassion to this man, so The priest rolls by and he's like, ooh, wait, I can't get near that guy. So he drops a little note or a marker on his Waze app, a guy needs some help, and he moves on. But the reality is, any religion that keeps us from compassion to others isn't a religion that changes the world. So the priest just passes by. But he's not the only guy in this parable. There's actually another one in verse 32. So in the same way, Jesus tells him, a levite when he arrived at the place and saw him passed by on the other side so similar response see a levite is kind of like a semi pro priest he's Never really going to go pro. He's never going to make it to that level. He knows it. And he's walking down the same road. So remember, it's, remember the road. It's, it's, it's a long road. It drops uh, about 3,000 foot. So I don't know where the guy is on the road. But let's say he's somewhere in this area here and then the the Levite watches the priest pass by, it's quite possible that he saw what the priest did. And so the priest is a higher level than him. And so he's like, hey, man, if the priest passed by and he went by, then I guess it's okay for me to pass by as well. And so that's the first two examples that Jesus gives. And now what happens next is just absolutely scandalous what Jesus says. And it's hard for us to understand how radical this was, but the expert in the law would have immediately known how scandalous this was. Verse 33, but a Samaritan on his journey came to him and when he saw the man he had, what's the word? Compassion. See, that's the driving part here and that's Part of what makes this so scandalous is that the Samaritan is not only the hero, but it's the Samaritan who had compassion on this man. You see, if you're new to the Bible, Samaritans were half-breeds. When the Jews were taken into captivity... Many of the Jews married their captors and had children, and those children were half-breed, half-Jew, half of whoever their captors were, and so the Samaritans were absolutely despised. In fact, Jews had a saying in that day that would say, hey, eating the bread of a Samaritan is like eating swine flesh, and I know we're thinking, hey, well, what's wrong with that? I love a good slab of bacon. I love to put a pork butt on my Traeger grill and just get down, but... Pork was forbidden. It was unclean. And thus, so were the Samaritans. To such a degree that the Jews would pray, God, please don't give grace to the Samaritans. Forgive us, (laughs) but don't forgive them. It was a very, very strained relationship. I want you to imagine, just think back through your history, the height of racism in our country. When there was a time where men and women were actually dehumanized because of their ethnicity. And that's wrong and it's sinful in any occasion, at any time. And that's a glimpse of what was happening between the Jews and the Samaritans. They dehumanized them, they despised them. And there was no love lost at all between a Jew and and a Samaritan. And what's interesting is the Samaritans weren't a Gentile, okay? They, they were half Jew, which means they were bound in part by some of the same religious ceremonial laws. And so look at what happens in verse 34 and 35. The Samaritan leans in. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds. Pouring on olive oil, which was expensive, and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And then look what it says in the next verse. The next day, as he was leaving, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Hey, take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And then what's interesting is then look at, look at verse 37. Look at verse 37. Which of these, Jesus says, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, the one who showed mercy to him, he said? Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. And what's interesting is if you look right here, he says, the one who showed mercy to him. He he couldn't even utter the words Samaritan. He wouldn't even speak the name Samaritan. I mean, Racial tension and hatred ran so deep at that time that he wouldn't even say the name. And so racism and hatred, man, that is an ancient parable. But what Jesus is teaching here, he says, hey, if you follow me, there's not going to be a person that isn't your neighbor. Now, look at look at what he says here in uh, verse 38. Then Jesus said... Go and do what? The same. So he told an expert in the law who had disdain for another person, who a neighbor actually was, and then he said, hey, go and do that. So what Jesus is teaching in this parable is that the gospel literally dismantles any disdain that we would have for others. That the gospel, the power of Jesus, creates a new people. It creates a new identity in our lives. And he asks the question, hey, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. But then he says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, anyone in need of compassion and mercy is your neighbor. Jesus is saying, man, when the gospel transforms your heart, your heart has to inform your hands. And an understanding of the good news of the gospel then begins to fuel my life. And Jesus, he's shaking things up here and he's providing a new ethic. And I think we've talked about this before, but the reality is that the ethic of love it is the marker of a true Christian identity, and this is what we're wrestling for and striving for and praying for and pleading for all of the angst inside the leaders, is for us to be marked by a people of love that radically go after the lost and searching and hurting and broken and unchurched and de-churched and overchurched. and anyone and everyone that comes in our path experiences the love of Christ through us. And it's really fitting today. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you have already thought about this. But it's really fitting today as we talk about what it means to both love God and then love your neighbor, that we're actually not, for the majority, meeting in a building when we're talking about this. Because one of the things that we said from day one was that we don't need a building to be a church. And just because we have a building doesn't mean we all of a sudden become a church. I mean, the building is just a necessary tool. And this building, it's awesome, but it's just a building. The reality is, 100 years from now, as people drive through Nolansville, this may not be one of those iconic buildings that they would recognize 100 years from now. There's other church buildings, these massive icons that they would drive by and go, man, what happened here? I mean, this is a nice building, but it's not a cathedral. People are not going to drive by this building a hundred years from now and go, man, there must be a story there. It's just a building. But, but maybe in a hundred years from now, our great-grandchildren our children and our grandchildren have sort of soaked up a new legacy of faith. Of what it really means to love God. What it really means to love their neighbor any cost of how they might be viewed by others, at any cost to them financially, at any cost to our safety, that they realize, they realize that, hey, the the ethic of love, let's go back a slide, the ethic of love is the true marker of, go back one slide, the ethic of love is the marker of true Christian identity, that they would grab that that they would live that, that they would experience that in their own lives, and then others would experience it through them. Because the reality is, man, if God's love has made its way into our hearts, then the love for others will be there. This is an evidence of our salvation, an evidence that we belong to God. How do you know that you've made the journey from death to life? It's the way we love others. Not just the way we love God, but the way we love others. I don't mean we love perfectly. No, 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 but it means we have new inclinations. It means we have new desires. And if we are the church, then we have to be defined by our love for others. And, and here's what I know. Not just because 2020 has just happened, and 2021 honestly didn't start off on much better <laughs> grounds. But the reality is, at this point in history, like you have been planted right In the middle of the fray, you've been planted right into the middle of one of the greatest needs in our time that I can ever remember. The greatest opportunity for people who are desperate for love and hope. And Jesus has put us here. And we say, Well, Jesus, what do you want from us? He says, I want you to love me, but I want you to incredibly and powerfully love others. And I don't know about you, but I meet people often who have, for many years, despised the church. They won't even come into a building. And do you know why, quite often? It's because, not because they took issue with God, it's because they met a lot of Christians (laughs) who talked a really, really big game, dressed up and went to a building, but then all week long just mistreated others. But then invited them to come back to church with them. And people are going, man, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus hasn't made one ounce of difference in your life, and you you, you want me to follow him? Following Jesus isn't just sprinkling a little hope in our own cup. No, man, the New Testament comes alive when we actually obey and live out what Jesus called us to do. And we're surrounded by people. People who... God cares deeply about. And we are called to love and extend his love to our neighbor, which means any and every ethnicity, any and all religious affiliation, and even go so far as any and all sports team affiliation. It goes that far. People with bad attitudes, people with good attitudes. But following Jesus means you follow his ways and you follow his commands. And we follow him. And at the epicenter of our faith is a man who died brutally covered in his own blood covered in the saliva of other men who laid down his life for us that's how far this goes that's what's required it's simple it's demanding it's not easy but it's glorious And so for just a minute, here's what I need you to do. I need need you to pay attention. So maybe you've already clicked over to Netflix. (laughs) Maybe you've already got up to go get a coffee. Tune back in. Come put me right in the center of the browser right now. Because as the church, we have to ask the right question. We have to ask the best questions if we're going to live out this parable. And here's the question that we have to ask, and it's right here. What does love require of me? Jesus said, love your neighbor. So what does love require of me? And this, answering this question is the essence of following Jesus. Jesus says, love your neighbor. This isn't watered down. This isn't simplistic. This is the essence of what Jesus is calling us to do. Love him and then love others. And listen, when when God answered this question, what does love require of me? It cost him his son. And when Jesus answered the question, what does love require of me, it cost him his life. And then we answer the question, what does love require of me? What does it mean for me to love my neighbor? I don't know about you, but I dream quite often. And I imagine what our families would look like. What our neighborhoods would look like what our schools would look like. If the filter, if the grid that we used, if the lens that we looked for was I'm leaning into my love for God and then I'm pouring out my life to love others. And in order to love others, I'm asking the question, what does love require of me? And just just imagine our town, our city, being filled with tangible, real-life examples, walking, breathing examples of Jesus' love for just a month. That's one of the reasons why we're launching the Love Your Neighbor initiative. Just imagine for one month we actually obeyed and did what Jesus called us to do. See, the hallmark of Jesus' followers has been their extraordinary love for one another. So imagine, imagine a world where people may indeed be critical of what you believe to be true. They're critical about your faith, but they're insanely drawn to how you love others. Maybe critical about your belief, but drawn to the life that you live. You see, man, the, the ethic of love is the marker of true. Christian identity, and the debate is not who is my neighbor. the The debate is, will I be a neighbor? And, and you think about it this way: I don't. I don't know if any of you have ever gone into autopilot in your life. I have on many occasions. Kim, my wife, who's amazing and awesome, will text me. And she'll say, hey, can you stop and get, I don't know, bread and milk on the way home? And I'll say, okay, 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 sure, 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 sure. And then I get in the car, and I put it in drive, and I begin to drive. And the next thing you know, I end up in my driveway, and I didn't get bread and milk. Have you ever had that experience? Where you're going through life, and the next thing you know, autopilot takes over, and you didn't do anything you were supposed to do because the normal rhythms in life just kicked in. Have you ever been there? Well, yeah. We're so busy in life. That we actually don't see those who need compassion around us. That we get up and we go to bed and we've found this autopilot rhythm that keeps us from really loving our neighbor well. And if we're going to love our neighbors, then we have to see them, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, Anything, we have to see them. And we don't love them so they'll come to this building. We don't love them so they'll come to our small group. We love them because that's the essence of who we are. We pour out our life because Jesus poured out His. And at the end of the week, here's what I know happens. We're going to be honest. Here's what I know happens. Saturday night, you're having a conversation with your spouse. Tomorrow's Sunday. Are we going to go? We're going to gather online. What are we going to do? And I know. I know. I get it. Sometimes I'm wondering, am I going to show up and preach or am I going to stay home? I don't know. <laughs> I get it, okay? It's not a drive-by guilty. I just I know the conversations we have. But listen, we want to be a group of people that when that question is answered, that we've been so poured out. All week long, we've been loving so abundantly all week long that we can't wait to gather again with God's people and be refreshed and be in worship and be renewed and be sent again. I'll give you an example. Kim and I, we, we exercise just about every day. And I know what you're thinking. Wade, that physique doesn't really show it. I, I get it, all right? I know I get Whatever, all right, back off. I know. We lift. I didn't say we lift heavy. I just said we lift and we work out. But some days I'm so spent after the workout, I can't wait to get down into the kitchen and drink my recovery shake and and eat an orange. Because I need like that quick infusion of some calories back in. And then I can't wait to kind of get started on my big breakfast, some egg burritos or some grits and eggs or something. I got to refuel because doctors and And physicians would tell you, hey, you've got a window of time when your body's looking for nourishment after you have expended energy, and you've just torn down the muscles, and so you've got to replenish them, and you've got to fuel them. You've got a window of time to get back in there and be refueled, and I want us to live like that spiritually with our lives. I want us to be poured out all week. Be in the word, be worshiping individually, be loving our neighbors so well that we can't wait to be here in order to feast on his word, to be recharged and worshiped, to get full, only to be sent back out and be poured back out again. This is the week where we are going to live sent. There's gonna be pro tips all week long on our social media accounts. Hey, here are one, one thing, here's one thing, here's two or three things that you can do this week to put flesh to your faith. We're going to give some more behind-the-scenes content in our Nolo Fam Facebook page and Facebook group. So if you're not already a part of the Facebook group, go join the Facebook group. And we're going to be giving you tools all week long to do this. But one of the things that we have said as a church from the time we planted this with 28 families three years ago, we were just talking about it with the worship team when we prayed before this service. I reminded them. So, one of the things that we have wanted so desperately as a church to become the type of people, to become the group of people that love God and love others so well that if for some random reason we we woke up this week or next week, and the church at Nolansville just disappeared, that the town would actually grieve our absence, that we would become the type of people so life giving and so Uh, Just extraordinary in the way we love others. That if we as a group of people just kind of fell off the map, that the town would feel this massive gaping hole of the love of Christ. We want to be the type of people that if we just disappeared, the town would literally cry out. I'll tell you that if we just gather in this room, sing songs, Go have lunch and hit repeat the next week. That's not going to happen. But if we, if we take seriously the words of Jesus and say, God, I, I want to love you and I love you well. And then be, because of the love that you have infused inside of me, I'm going to pour out that love on others. If we do that, if we do that. If we do that, there won't be a person within miles of this campus over the next year that hasn't experienced in a real and tangible way the love of Christ. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm believing God for. Let's go together. So, Jesus, we, we know, we know. That this is impossible without you. And Lord, we know that it's the gospel that changed our lives. And because our lives have been changed, we, we want to pour out your love through us to others. And so God, love, love your neighbor. It's an initiative that we're starting but it's a lifestyle that we're praying for. It's a lifestyle that we're asking would be infused into the life of every person who belongs to the church at Nolan'sville. And so, God, we ask that you would do what only you can do in and through our church. We confess our need for you. We confess our hope in you. And I believe, God, that you're going to stir something up in us to literally change the world. We pray this, we believe this in faith and in the name of Jesus, amen.